Welcome to Tough Cookie Podcast, a podcast that celebrates badass women in food. I'm your host, Starlene Wienheisen, owner, designer, and content creator over at PickleJarStudios.com. Today, I'm joined with Cindy, owner and creator of Inspired Leaf Teas. Cindy, welcome to Tough Cookie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to um, sit down and we're enjoying a cup of your tea right (laughs) now. (laughs) It's delicious. I'm having the carrot cake. And I wanted to... um, find out more about your business and hear about how running a tea business um, works. And I think that there's something about tea companies and the way that they operate that feels mysterious. And maybe that's part of the element of drinking tea. But I wanted to hear more details from you about how you got into the tea business and what it's like. Absolutely. For me, um can kind of give you the long journey version because it's been kind of a long journey to get here. Um, my love for tea really started when I was 10 years old. My grandmother collected teacups and they were always lined up around her dining room and you know on special occasions she would take one down and you would get to have tea in it and it was a really special experience for me. And when I was 10 years old for my birthday she bought me my first china teacup set which I still have, and it's like one of my most prized possessions. Oh, wow. And that yeah. just started a love for everything, tea, teacups, teapots, steepers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've collected them my whole life. Um, and have, tea is really, it's about family, it's about ritual, it's about making connections with people. To me, it's more than just a beverage that I enjoy drinking. And I do enjoy it, but it's, really meaningful so that all started kind of the love and the passion for it and then you know as you get older you're discovering teas and having tea where you go me and my husband would go on vacation instead of bringing back souvenirs we would hit an antique store and find a teacup Mm, and we would bring teacups back (laughs) from our trips places um, Some people bring magnets, you bring teacups. Exactly. <laughs> was that ch- a challenge to pack those to make sure that they wouldn't break? <laughs> Not really. And usually it was road trips and things like that. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you just wrap them in, in newspaper and put good. them in the back of the car. So, yeah. yeah, it worked good. Nice. So, really, just a love of tea, and it was more like a hobby of mine. I never really saw it as anything I would ever have as a business. Um, I worked in retail. I worked for Fred Meyer. I was with them for 22 years. Mm-hmm. I was very successful with them. I ran the Bend and the Redmond store, both as a store director. Uh, I put a lot of effort and work into that and was very passionate about my career. And then I had my daughter, mm-hmm. and all my priorities changed. And after about three and a half years of getting up crazy early and taking her to daycare and then working long hours and then picking her up and not getting home till eight o'clock at night. I just realized that this wasn't what I wanted anymore. I didn't have the flexibility to really spend the time with her that I wanted. So I'd been feeling that way since I went back to work when she was little and really struggling with that um, for a few years, but trying to make it all work out in the back of my mind, kind of thinking, what else could I do? And we were actually at the coast with some family, my cousins and their girls, 
and we were all sitting around talking and my two nieces had been to a tea party at this place in the Salem area mm, yeah and they were telling me all about it and this woman had you know her house all fixed up and they had tea and all the girls and they dressed up and I thought this is what I'm going to do instead of my 22-year career for admire, <laughs> which was probably kind of a crazy thing at that point to make that step, but um, I really wanted to do it. So we built this, what we call the tea house, where we're doing the interview now, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, to hold tea parties in, and oh my gosh, we bought costumes, and I went through an online tea party training and we spent quite a bit of time getting everything up and ready and started that business. And at the parties, we would serve some of my tea blends Mm -hmm. just as like an extra thing. So it wasn't really. So you started blending tea at that point for the parties. Yeah. And I always played around with tea. Um, So we just thought it would be like a fun little addition to Mm -hmm. have some of the teas at the tea parties. And Do you remember what um, teas, or could you tell us what teas you started with? So we had the strawberry kiwi, which was the one that we always did for the girls because it's a fruit tea and it's on the sweeter side and almost all of them always liked it. That was a really safe one. And I would make tea for the, the parents at the tea party too. So we had a coconut truffle, um, a caramel green, I'm trying to remember which ones I had as originals, um, carrot cake. And probably a couple others. And that was about it. There wasn't, we didn't have too many blends to start with. Yeah. And people would really like it. And so they would buy a tin of it before they left the party. So it was a little add-on. And I never really thought of it much more than that. Um, And the tea party business over a few years grew and grew. And we were doing a lot of bookings. And it was actually going really well. And I was having a blast doing it. It Mm -hmm. was super fun. And were they all here in this tea house? Yeah, we would yeah. have them upstairs and, you know, the girls would have a little dress-up session and makeup if they wanted to do, which was basically some lip gloss and blush. And they'd get all dressed up and I'd read stories to them and they'd play little Cute. games and then they would sit down and I would do a little etiquette talk at the table. Okay. Um, like the appropriate way to drink tea kind That of thing. and just manners in general. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that we weren't sure about when we started was using, you know, all the real fragile teacups. I thought, you know, we're going to have a lot of breakage because we had three and four-year-old parties, some of them. Wow. And, and were these all teacups that were part of your collection? We, I did get some more because we did the, the smaller teacups. So we did have to pick up some more because most of mine were on the larger side, a little bit too big yeah. for little hands. Um, but I did have some small teacups in my collection. And we went ahead and used all really nice teacups. And all the years I did tea parties, I only had two broken, and that was both with me washing them. Oh, wow. (laughs) We never had a girl break a teacup the entire time. They would just get very calm. It was probably that etiquette talk. (laughs) They're dressed up, and everything's so fancy and formal, and they just really would rise to the occasion. So that was always really magical and a lot of times parents would be a little in awe of you know just what how well behaved they were and Mm -hmm. um, it was just a really special time and I loved doing it and like a lot of businesses like that that were kind of a luxury and something you didn't have to do when the recession really took hold in central Oregon it almost completely stopped Mm -hmm. we just weren't getting any more bookings at all 
And we still had customers calling us for tea because we kind of developed these regular customers that would come by and pick up a tin of tea every now and then. So we thought, well, maybe that is the business <laughs> that we should be doing instead of tea parties. So that's kind of how the whole tea thing started. It was mm. kind of a crazy roundabout road that it wasn't like I had this dream of owning a tea business my whole yeah. life. It just kind of happened organically, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So when you first started uh, playing around with tea, as you say, or blending, what did that process look like? Were you kind of looking online at how to blend teas or reading books or or how did you start dabbling in yeah, blending? Nothing that formal. You know, okay. I think it's just a matter of, you know, getting a few herbs and spices and some different um basic teas and mixing them together to see what what tastes good and what was interesting um i have actually done some formal training mm-hmm. since on tea blending just to pick up some tips when you're blending just for yourself you know <laughs> to make to make three or four pots of tea is a lot different than doing a 10 pound batch mm, so yeah. i definitely have done some training on how to you know how to do things in larger quantities and just tricks of the trade and things like that there's um there's mm-hmm. actually tea training courses that you can take now oh wow um, okay. that are really helpful so i've done some of that to be a little more professional and a little less just kind of me mad scientist you know in the kitchen yeah. figuring things out <laughs> Are those in-person courses or? No, they were, it was interesting. It was, it's all online, but they send you a kit. Oh, okay. So you get a kit in the mail. So everybody taking the class is working with all the same ingredients and everything. Mm-hmm. So, and you would have, you know, they'd break it up over several weeks and each week you would have, you'd study something and you would do, you know, a blending experiment or something, whatever the, the topic was. And then you'd report your findings and your tasting notes and those kind of things. And then there'd be like a group discussion at the end. And then the evaluator would kind of, you know, give feedback. So, yeah, it was it was kind of like in person because everybody's doing the same thing. And it was very hands on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you didn't have to travel someplace to take the class. Mm -hmm. It worked really well. Cool. So when you first realized that you wanted to have the the tea business versus the tea party business. Um, you said that the, the customers had kind of died down anyways at that point. And then you had already quit um, Fred Meyer, your full-time Yes, I'd been gone for a few years at that point. Um, and, and definitely not wanting to go back to that. Yeah. Now my daughter's, you know, I've been home with her. Um, it would have been really difficult at that point to yeah. not be home with her anymore. So... Again, I was kind of desperate to find something, you know, make something work. Yeah, for sure. I could, I can um, imagine. I mean, it's, (laughs) I've been a freelancer and have my own business for three plus years now. And I, I once in a while entertain the thought of, oh, what would a full-time job look like for me? But every conversation I have with my husband or with other friends about it is just like, yeah, but your flexibility, it's just, yeah, that is really the... Flexibility to me, especially being a mom, is more valuable than extra vacation time or stock options or 401k. <laughs> it's yeah. such a huge perk. Mm-hmm. Um, and for most, I know there's wonderful jobs out there that do have flexibility, and I think um, more and more that's important. I think companies are recognizing yeah. that, that in order to retain people, they need that. 
the you know what I was doing retail it's just not it's not something you can work from home no it's not something that you can work shorter shorter hours it and I wouldn't have even gone to them and asked for that it wouldn't have made sense for what I was doing mm-hmm. so I knew that you know I would actually have to find something completely different it wasn't going to work for me to have flexibility and keep doing that job as well. So. Yeah. And I think it's good to weigh your options when you're wanting flexibility and to maybe have that conversation, but it's also good to recognize that no, it just doesn't make sense yep. for your, for, for your position and the requirements. Exactly. And sometimes it's just, it's just not going to happen. And you kind of know that. Yep. <laughs> um, but do you think that in your time at Fred Meyer and being a store director, has that given you some insight into running your own business? Oh, absolutely. How did that prepare you, would you say? You know, in so many different ways. I think probably the most important, we had such a really strong focus on customer service there that, you know, 22 years of that, and I started with them really young. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, I know what it means to treat customers well, to do what you're going to say, and I know how important the effect of that is. So that's probably the most important thing. Then, of course, um, at the store director level, I was involved in, you know, margins and budgeting and um, cost analysis and all those kind of things that goes into running a business. Of course, it's a very large business and you're running a store. So it's it's different. But a lot of those same skills I can apply on a really small scale. (laughs) Yeah to what I'm doing here, um, it's kind of a natural transition. I mean, I'm like, you know, I get, okay, margin, I get that. I know why that's important. Um, you know, I know how to figure that out and I know how to be more profitable by looking at margin and, mm, yeah. and it's comparison to sales and those kind of things. So that's a language I kind of learned to speak at Fred Meyer. Um, work ethic also, yeah. I mean, that's something I've had from a young age, me and my brother worked as kids in the berry fields to pay for our own school clothes. So we've always had a really good work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I put in really long hours at Fred Meyers and worked worked very hard. So that hasn't been um, a huge transition to running your own business. And yeah. especially with that flexibility, you know, I can volunteer at school and go on field trips and do all those things I couldn't do before. But the work still has to get done. So, right. you know, I might be up really late one night doing it to make up. So I've experienced that, too. It's kind of like especially when you're when you have your own business and you're you don't have any other employees or anyone really <laughs> pitching in that much. Um, it's pretty much falls to you. So exactly. But on the other hand, it falls to you. I mean, you have the choice to go and volunteer and have and, you know, be with your daughter and um and that's amazing. That's not everybody has that choice. It's a huge privilege. Yeah. yeah. And I recognize that. I mean, I have a lot of friends that work and I see how hard it is for them. And I, you know, I remember how hard it was for me. Yeah. So it's, you know, I, I realize that it's a huge privilege to have that choice. Mm-hmm. My de- my husband does help out too. I definitely need to give him credit. Uh, <laughs> he helps me out Husbands on the weekends. Are great. He has yeah. a regular full-time job, you know, so this isn't something he's able to do a lot. But when we're really busy, especially during the holiday season, you know, he'll get home from work and and come out and help me with things and goes to events with me on weekends to help out and nice. He's super supportive. That's so, great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's huge. It I'm really a supportive is. partner. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think too. It, it's. 
uh, when I'm when I'm working late, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm I'm working late at my desk, you know, eleven or twelve, maybe later than I want to be working. Mm-hmm. But it's also one of those things of I I chose to do this because you know, I got to go have fun earlier or whatever, or whatever it was. So, or do an event or, um, or meet a new client or something like that. So it's all part of the, the joy and the privilege of having your own business. Absolutely. So when you were ready to start going more with the, the tea blends and the tea business, how did, did you have to make any transitions from the tea party business? How did the business then shift into that so a lot of different transitions um we knew right away that we would probably have to just completely quit doing the tea parties and originally we planned on using this space right away to start doing our own blending and packaging and everything here then looking into what it was going to take to get the department of agriculture permits um, it was just a little daunting in the beginning. Mm, so we yeah. did end up using a co-packer when we first started just to get the business going. So we'd already gone through all the, the marketing and design and getting a brand name and all of those steps. And we really just wanted to get a product out there and get something going. So for us, we decided to go ahead and go with the co-packer just to get it going. Yeah. And then we started working on getting everything where it needed to be to get those Department of Agriculture permits. And then we, we ended up doing that um, not too much later. And ever since then, we've been doing everything here in-house. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really ended up, once we actually did all those things, it wasn't as daunting <laughs> as I thought it was going to be. So that's probably one of those things looking back. Um, and there's so many things that I would do differently. Um, but that's one of them. I probably would have just gone ahead and taken the time to make that happen first. Um, but it, it didn't it didn't hurt anything. You know, it was yeah. just a little extra step and an extra transition for us. So mm-hmm. it is nice to have control over everything mm-hmm. um, and to be able to do, you know, everything here in one facility. So that's, yeah. that's been a really nice. I feel like I have complete control over my blends and um ingredients and where the ingredients come from and all those kind of things. So yeah, for sure. Doing it in house has been, been amazing. Yeah. Um, and I think too, when you're first starting, there's so many things to do. It's even though you had the tea party business and then you, um, but you had made this transition into doing tea blends, it's still a lot to take on all at once. So, I mean, I think that anything that you can kind of say, okay, what's, what's going to get me from point A to point B just a little bit quicker at this point, And then you can Absolutely. always revisit it later. Um, I know I've made decisions like that, smaller decisions in my business that, that were just kind of, you could look at them and call them like a quick fix, but mm-hmm. it helped me move on to the, to make progress. That's what you need at the time. Yeah, exactly. And I think you usually know in the back of your mind that maybe, you know, there's another solution there that is probably the better one. Um, but for whatever reason, the place that you're in, this is what you just need to do for now. And, but you know, you'll get to that other place, you know, that's still a goal. You're not going to let that go. But for now, I just need to do this and get moving. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how it worked for us. It's kind of the, it's a backwards way. I know a lot of people that start doing whatever they're doing, like in a home kitchen, 
Um, and their big goal is to get to the point where they're using a co-packer. Um, and we, you know, we're the opposite. And I think tea's unique that way. It's not, it doesn't have to be cooked and, you know, all of those big steps to where you would need a huge facility to produce a lot. Um, right. Since it's a dried product. Um, mm-hmm. To me, it's easy to do in-house. So it actually makes more sense to do it in-house than, than have somebody else doing it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. At what level do you, where would you go from here? We talk about that a lot. And I definitely want this space to work as long as I possibly can. What will happen for us eventually is we just won't have the room. Yeah. Um, you know, and to, you're bringing, we're bringing in larger amounts of ingredients where, you know, before a couple pounds, you know, of this, a couple pounds of that to make, you know, usually 10 pound batches is about the average batch that I blend, okay. which isn't a ton. So it's just a few pounds of everything going in. Um, and I do still bring things in as I need them. So I'll mm-hmm. have some stuff on hand, but for the most part, I try not to have ingredients just here waiting. Like extra back stock. You want it to stuff. be really fresh. And yeah. that whole part is kind of a tricky little balancing act. You know, I do a lot of calculations to make sure I don't have too much, but don't run out at the same time. And then you're talking a lot of different ingredients to figure out, um, you know, and sometimes one provider is out of something and then there's the panic because I do try to run it a little lean. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some changes going forward now that we, um, we're selling larger amounts. We've got, um, a bigger account. Um, we're able to bring in larger quantities of products, um, and still go through them fast enough that I feel comfortable bringing mm-hmm. them in. And I know eventually we'll get to the point where we just won't have space mm-hmm. for everything. So we spend a lot of time trying to figure out storage. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's going to be, it's going to be a bigger issue. And I could see getting to the point someday where you just need, you know, like that larger warehouse type space to work right. out of. So yeah, I'm sure we'll get there eventually. And if you have a certified uh, space either um, on your property or in your home, can you store dried ingredients or dried goods elsewhere wherever you store has to be certified uh okay so you can't like this that space upstairs is is what's certified so any you know herbs spices teas that aren't packaged and ready to go um they all stay up there gotcha Okay. So if we did, like on the property, decided to build another space, and you know, that's an option. We've got a decent amount of property here, mm-hmm. and we've talked about that as an option. Um, you know, maybe building like just a storage type area that would be heated and cooled and all of that, and then having um, having it authorized too. Right. So we'll see. We'll see down the road what makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at that point, I would think I would have, you know, employees too. If we're Mm -hmm. that big, I'm not going to be able to do this all myself. (laughs) Yeah. So probably at that point, um, you know, having employees and everything that that entails, it might not make sense to be here anymore. Maybe this becomes more of, um, you know, like an office, like I'm using it now. And maybe it's where I just work on blend development. Mm, Yeah. Um, The test kitchen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the actual blending of the big batches and the packaging and all of that could move someplace else. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was it like to change your marketing from doing tea parties for for birthdays and events and things like that to T 
tea blends? So for us, we started since we really didn't know Mm -hmm. how to do that (laughs) at all. Uh, We went with a a local marketing agency Mm -hmm. um, and really let them kind of walk us through the process. And they helped us, um, probably most importantly, was with logo design. Um, We had worked with a really great graphic artist at Redmond um, who designed a bunch of different logos and gave us options. And then we we chose um, the one that we use now. And for me... And that's definitely something I can't do. I'm mm-hmm. not artistic, and I know nothing about those kind of things. But we were able to talk to him about what we wanted, what our idea of the business, how we wanted it to come across. And he was able to represent that artistically. Um, and we get a lot of comments about our logo. Um, people are constantly commenting on the packaging, um, the design of it, and how it looks. and it's something that you remember so Mm -hmm. you know you see it and we'll be at events and people are like oh this looks familiar i've seen that logo before and that's i mean that's huge it's good yeah it's huge especially when brand recognition yeah yeah you're selling a product like when we're selling it at retail it's in a solid tin you can't even see what's in there Mm -hmm. so you need something that kind of speaks you know to your brand and the quality of your brand um, so that that was huge for us. Mm-hmm. And then with the marketing, I mean, there was definitely a lot of benefit there, too. It's one of those things where once you've gone through it and then you've been in business a few years, you look back and you think, well, I probably could have done some of that different or I probably could have done that on my own. But when you don't know, um, you, we were at a point where we needed some guidance. Yeah. And it's nice to... To contact some professionals that have a process, it can be kind of reassuring mm-hmm. to, to kind of go through a step-by-step process like that for sure Absolutely. when you're doing something you've never done before. I think that's what people like about working with me too, is they kind of, I have like a design process and and it's, I'm sure every designer has some kind of process that's so probably a little bit, you know, different from, from designer to designer, but for people that haven't been through that before, it can be, you know, you, you lay out the process and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, we go step one, step two, step three. And um, yeah, I think it, it just makes it a lot easier. So that's really nice to to have at least that kind of roadmap. Yes, <laughs> laid and there's out. so many pro- steps in rolling out your own business that you're just not gonna be an expert at all of them. Um, right. You know, the other really big one would be you know, the whole issue of having a website and the design of the website and functionality of the website and shopping carts and all of that, that was something that I knew absolutely nothing about. So now you're looking to find somebody to do this big piece of work for you. Um, and you don't even know questions to ask. <laughs> you, right. so, you know so little about the process. Um, and we definitely had growing pains there. Yeah, you know, we um, are now using the the person that handles my website now is amazing, and you know I can talk to him and he doesn't speak, you know, computer talk to me. I mean, Good. he can actually yeah. talk to me in my language. That's so um, important. Yeah. Which we've had experiences with others that didn't work out. That there's just this. It was like talking to somebody with a foreign language, and yeah, you know, their level of frustration because you don't just get it. 
Right. Well, the reason you're hiring somebody to do this is because you don't get it. (laughs) And I do know a lot more now than I did then. You know, you kind of learn as you go that that's one of those areas. It's a super important part of the business for just about anybody that has any kind of business. Now you need some kind of web presence and to sell a product. um, A lot of our sales are from online now. Oh, good. Yeah. So it's been a really important part of the business and one that has been a struggle for me just because I started with just zero knowledge. Yeah. Um, and I still, I certainly couldn't design my own site at this point, but I know a lot more about it. You know, I can control my inventories and I know what to look for and we have issues and, and mm-hmm. I've got good help, <laughs> yeah. which is huge. Yeah, that is. And I think what you said too about, um, you know, speaking a common language, I think that even in the world of tea, you know, for, for people who aren't, um, as versed in like tasting notes Mm -hmm. and varieties and that type of thing, it's good to start with a commonality there, you know, and just kind of grab onto whatever it is that they're going to understand. So it's funny that you mentioned that because, um, always having a love of tea, but not being somebody formally trained in tea. Um, There'd be times where we would go someplace and you would almost feel uncomfortable because you didn't, like, you didn't know enough to be sitting there having a cup of tea. Right. Um, And there can be kind of the superiority that comes across. And we definitely, that actually was part of what we conveyed to the graphic artists. We, We really wanted our business to feel very approachable we don't talk over people's heads. We don't try to make them feel like they don't know enough to be drinking tea. Um, we really tried to simplify um, the whole, not only the process of you know how to steep it, um, but just just make it more basic. Mm-hmm. You know, so many people they'll come up to us at an event and they're like, "Oh, loose tea," and oh, I wouldn't know what to do with that, and. It's literally just having a little mesh steeper that holds the leaves instead of a tea bag holding the leaves. I mean, it's really that easy. And on the back of all of our tins, we, you know, put down how much tea, if the water should be, you know, steaming or boiling. It's really mm-hmm. just those two options and how long to steep it for. So all they have to do when they get it home is just look at the back of the tin and it's like step by step. Mm-hmm. Um, we just wanted to simplify it and demystify it because you're right. It can kind of be this like mysterious thing. Like people don't even enter into it because they think they don't know enough to, to go in. You should be able to go up to a, a tea person and just ask them questions. And mm-hmm. they shouldn't make you feel like you should know the, the answers. I mean, they should just be open and friendly and understand that not everybody lives and breathes the world of tea and I'm still learing things. So, um, I mean, we, there's so much to learn about tea. Yeah. I'm still, still learning about different, different ways um, that the tea leaves are processed and grown and, you know, the different regions and the effect that has. And Mm -hmm. and I think it's something you could study your whole life and still keep learning about. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, um, well, you, you compared it earlier to wine Mm -hmm. and some people do study wine their whole life. I'm sure there are people that do study tea their whole lives. And yeah, it is, it's very interesting. Um, once you get into the nuance, I think Mm -hmm. it definitely could, I could see how it would become a real fashion and a real, um, yeah, just the knowledge of, of the intricacies of 
the history behind it and just, you know, something that there is so much to learn and, and discover. You know, I think for me, the passion part, when I think about tea, obviously it's something I enjoy drinking and I love the taste of it and I love discovering new flavors, but more than anything, there's, it's kind of symbolic. Like when you have a friend over and you steep a pot of loose tea and sit down at the table, it's like a commitment. Like, I'm going to sit here and really talk with you. Mm-hmm. It's not the quick, let's grab a cup of coffee at Starbucks on the go. I mean, I think it, it right. really shows somebody that you appreciate them. You want to spend time with them. Um, you care about what they have to say. So, um, I mean, me and my daughter are still, from time to time, we'll sit down and have a cup of tea. You know, we get out the nice cups and... It just symbolizes, okay, we're going to have a conversation now, and everything slows down a little, and you put the phone away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think love in that. kind of this busy, crazy, everything's like, you know, quick and fast. Um, it's just really nice, I think, once in a while, just to kind of sit down and connect with people like that. And then even if you're by yourself, you know, you kind of feel a little pampered and spoiled when you get out your nice teapot and you steep your loose tea and it's not instantaneous you know you've got to set a timer and it's you know three or four minutes and it's really not some huge commitment it's not like you know going and doing some major thing for yourself but you feel like you've been you've taken time for yourself yeah for sure yourself a little bit so for me there's just there's so much more to it than just a beverage that I love to drink so Mm -hmm. yeah I really love that part of it I think that part of it is really where the passion comes from Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that too. I think we, so my husband and I both work from home and, um, throughout the day we'll take a little tea break and go down and make a cup of tea. And, um, it does feel just, it's like a, we step away from the computers, Mm -hmm. you know, take a few minutes sometimes, especially with the nice weather, we'll walk outside in our yard and look at, look at our plants and, while the tea is, you know, steeping and yeah, it's good for your soul <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's just like a breath, you know, just Absolutely. take a breath during the day. So yeah, I, I appreciate that as well. Um, so I wanted to also ask you about how you source tea. Cause that seems really, um, talk about mystery. That seems kind of like, whoa, where would that even start? Is this, you know, I, I think of it like, you know, going on boats to China and India <laughs> and things like that, um, which I probably romanticized, but I want to hear what your experience with sourcing has been, um, you know, just kind of like an overview of the process. For sure. And actually, it that is something that has changed. And I think there is still a lot of mystery in it. So I think that's probably the area where there's the most mystery um, for the tea owner, the tea business. Um, and that's changed as we've grown and got bigger. So there's, there's a lot of different places you can source small quantities from. So, you know, a couple pounds of this, a couple pounds of that. Um, And as a very small business starting out, that's, you know, that's all you need because that's all you can sell. So then there's those resources and those are the people that we've mostly used from. Um, Some local like Tumalo Lavender, um, others from like bigger companies that supply a bunch of different botanicals, Um, you know, literally hundreds of different places that will send you small amounts. Of course, it's a lot more than what, you know, the general public would need. Um, most people don't need, you know, two to four pounds of hibiscus. 
Right. Um, but in the world of tea, that is a very, very small amount to bring in. So that is kind of how we've done things for most of the time we've been in business. We're getting to the point now where our sales are justifying larger quantities. So I'm kind of in this transitional period where I'm able to look at different ways to source. Um, still looking at predominantly organic. We're actually moving towards any new blend that we bring in is completely organic. Nice. Um, yeah. And going back and taking existing blends and switching out non-organic ingredients for organic. So that is what I'm spending most of my time on right now. That's kind of my um, spring summer project is mm. to get as far as we can with that process. And now that we're able to bring in larger amounts, I'm able to bring in a large amount of an organic product at the same price that I was bringing in a small amount um, of a non-organic product. Oh, so nice. the yeah. goal, because you get so much, you get better prices when you buy in bulk. Right. Mm-hmm. So our goal is to very carefully make that transition and not have to raise our prices. Yeah. Because what we've found, um, organic's important to me, and it is important to a lot of our customers. You hear from people that it's important, but when it comes right down to paying for it, um, there's a disconnect there. They really don't want to pay much more for it. Right. Um, Yeah. And I think sometimes people, they might even think they're okay with it, but when it, I mean, we can tell by what sells. Yeah. <laughs> so my goal is to still stay really competitive um, pricing wise, which um, like especially our loose teas for what we sell a tin for and how many ounces is in that tin, which is a thing you really need to look at when you buy tea. Um, you look at the ounces that are actually on the product compared to the price because one that is two ounces could look very similar in size to one that's four. Um, and it should be half the price if it's only two ounces, but what you'll find is it's, it's just a little bit less Mm. than the one that's for. So sometimes it looks like a better deal on the shelf and it's actually not. Um, and we want to make sure that we're giving people a decent amount of tea. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to, you know, try to make it look like there's, you know, more tea there than they're actually getting. Um, but then that we know those price points have to be in a certain area or people just, they won't buy the tea. Mm, right. So, um, that transition I can definitely see going forward as we're able to bring in these quality organic ingredients in larger amounts. Um, we'll be able to keep our pricing structure where it is now and actually improve the quality of our, our product. And knowing that, um, that sort of pricing psychology about how customers just won't buy if it's if it's a certain price, does that come from your store director experience or is that just something that you picked up when you started doing I tea blends? That's probably just come from us being out there selling. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've definitely done things different than other companies as far as how we've gotten out in front of customers. I'm very much like a relationship person. You know, I like I like one-on-one conversations. I don't want to speak in front of a group of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I love just talking individually to people and getting to know them and talking to them about our product. So we've done a lot of, you know, what we call events um, where we go and we set up a booth, whether it's, if it's outside with a tent at a, a market or something, or maybe it's inside at a wine festival or a chocolate festival or whatever. We've tried a lot of different things. 
um, just to have a chance to get in front of people. And we mm. always have lots of blends brewed up with us, and we get people to sample our teas and talk to us about them. And that that has been the bulk of our customer business. I mean, that's how we've created most of our customers. Um, I would love it if I could just run an ad somewhere, whether it's the internet or television or radio or whatever, and have this big influx of business. But I feel like the kind of business that we're doing, you really have to make that personal connection with the customer. Yeah. And I think to have them have that opportunity to try your tea and to really experience it is it's it's huge. huge. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, I know Randy from Homemade Toffee has said the yep. same thing. It's I, like I see her out there, and yeah, her and Justy, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like they have to try it. You know, I think she said in her episode, they it's a food product. You have yep. to be able to taste it, and I think the same goes for beverages. You know, absolutely, you just have to. That's probably the biggest thing. I mean, there's so many artisan food companies out there now, and which I love. I think it's it's amazing how much the industry has grown, but. I don't think enough of them do events, so. It's kind of that grassroots yeah. um, effort, and it's it's difficult. I mean, it's one of the hardest things we do, especially when we're doing a lot. Um, it's long hours on your feet, talking all day long. I, I lose my voice almost it's a every lot of holiday energy. season. You know, it's driving over the pass in the winter and the bad roads, and I mean the stories I could tell. <laughs> um, yeah, it takes a lot exhausting. of energy. Yeah, and it, it takes time away from everything else you do. So you know, if I'm gone all weekend, you know, you've got a travel day and sometimes a two, three day event, and then you've got to get home and there's this whole process to get ready to go and the whole process you go through when you get back. Um, it's very time consuming, but for me. That is one thing I definitely wouldn't do different, even though it's been so time consuming, just because it's allowed us to connect directly with our customers. I mean, we have people, we'll do events over in Corvallis, um, and we're only there twice a year, once during the holidays and once in May. Mm -hmm. And we'll have numerous people that come and find us every year because they know we're going to be there. And you get to know people by name and you know what they look like and that I love that that part of the business you know I love making those connections I love when an, an online order comes through and I can actually put a face to a name I'm like oh that's that really nice lady that I met you know in Medford whatever mm-hmm. um, I love that we're still small enough that we can do things like that and that's definitely a goal of mine as we grow is I don't want to lose that you know I want to make sure we're always making a direct connection with the customer Mm-hmm. Because, you know, every time somebody purchases something from us or we get an online order, I genuinely feel so much gratitude because they don't have to. Yeah. You know, they can buy sure. something else. I mean, they're, they're choosing. First of all, I'm proud of the fact that they like the product. Um, and they're making a choice to spend their money on something that we've developed. And, yeah, I'm still so grateful for that. And I know I'll never lose that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gratitude is huge. Customers, yeah, for sure. They have they have a choice that they can make. I mean, they could easily not spend that money on tea. It's kind of like what you were saying about organic, and it comes down to paying the price for that. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, you definitely get your money's worth, though. 
when yes. you when you make that investment. I mean, there's a reason why. Yes. <laughs> Those eggs are six dollars and not two dollars, for example. Absolutely. Um, there's a reason why you know your tea is at the price point that it is because of the superior quality. Yeah. So. I did want to ask too how you mentioned that you are kind of going back to some of the tea blends and swapping out organic for for non-organic ingredients. Do you then need to go through a process of tasting and making sure that the blend comes out? (laughs) Yeah. What's that like? That's why it's so time consuming. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I've been spending countless hours on that recently because, you know, the organic ingredient of just one ingredient in a, a tea blend that might have 12 or 13 different things in it. Um, you know, it's probably coming from someplace else. Right. So um, sometimes it tastes different. So it doesn't, it doesn't always work. And the goal is to have them as similar, um, but just the quality better. So sometimes you need more of something, less of something. Um, it's really, it's really tricky. It's actually been, it's been a tricky process, but. Mm-hmm. It's important to me, though, that we are definitely moving in that direction. I think it's important for the business and just something I feel better about. Yeah. We're using a lot of organic ingredients already, and we, we definitely have several blends that are completely organic. Mm-hmm. Um, but just having the goal of moving in that direction of eventually the whole line being organic is it's kind of a, a passion for me right now. So. Yeah. So how many different blends do you have right now? So I've got 24 Wow. Right now. Yeah. And they're not all blends. I mean, some of them are just, you know, I've got a pure Vietnamese green. Um, we got straight up English breakfast black tea. Um, mm. I have a um, Everspring Oolong that's on its way. We've done oh. label design for it. Um, the tea just isn't here yet. It's coming in from Taiwan um, that I'm really excited about because I love a good Oolong. So yeah. I've got that coming in. So they're not all blends, but most of them are blends. Okay. Yeah. And then um, I wanted to ask you what your process for creating a blend looks like roughly, Um, whatever you're comfortable sharing. But you know, it depends on the blend. It usually starts with an idea um, or, you know, more recently in the last few years, just listening to the customers. So um, one of my, not my newest one, but one of my newer ones, we had people just kept asking for lavender. Everybody wanted lavender all of a sudden, like everywhere we went. And we didn't have a blend with lavender in it. Mm. So I knew I needed to kind of start playing around with that. And then, you know, wanting to use Tumala lavender because we'd met those folks and they're just the nicest people. And Earl Grey cream is a really popular blend. And I think the flavor profiles in it just really lend itself to lavender. So I started playing around with that blend. which with lavender, it's a tricky one because if you have too much lavender, it's really like having a mouthful of flowers. Right, yeah. Um, and even the biggest lavender fan um, is probably not going to enjoy that. And we really yeah. try to come up with blends that are going to be pleasing to like the most amount of people. Right. So you're always going to have things that people will like, oh, it's not quite enough of this. Or somebody will just taste the same tea and be like, oh, it's a little bit too much of this and it's the same one. Um, every blend you're always going to have that rose, but you try to hit the most people <laughs> yeah yeah rose petals or rose not rose hips but more rose the rose petal can be a little fragrant. too much yeah yeah yep. the lavender is like that it's it's a really powerful fragrance so 
lots of trial and error on using amounts, um, but we right. yeah, ended up kind of narrowing it down and got to what I felt like the lavender was present, and you could definitely taste lavender, but it wasn't taken away from the original blend. So we added the lavender to the current lavender or to the current Earl Grey cream blend. Um, and that is, that's now one of our most popular tea blends. A lot of times it's just listening to what people are asking for. Other times it's just, you know, knowing that there's uh, an important flavor out there that you want represented. Um, my newest blend, my cinnamon orange chai, mm. that was just something I knew I just needed a, a really good, a really good chai mm-hmm. in the line. But I didn't want it to taste like everybody else's. And that's really what's unique about our tea line is we really do innovative flavors. So mm-hmm. I don't want to just do what everybody else is doing. So that one took me literally months to work on just because I really, there's so many orange chives out there, but I wanted ours to really be special. So on that particular flavor, like the, the cardamom pods and the cloves and everything, I'm actually bringing those in whole and grind them in a spice grinder in-house. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. And I found there's a, just a completely different flavor profile to doing that. It's yeah. It's super fresh. Um, For sure. We got into, this is kind of a tangent, but we got into making curries and, oh, man, we got this book that maybe I'll link to it in the show notes. It's like 660 curries or whatever. It's this nice. big, thick book, but like very authentic. And each uh, recipe will have a blend that's those raw spices mm-hmm. that you toast and then you grind. And it's amazing, the flavor difference. Such a huge difference. So yeah, I totally know yeah. what you're saying about that. So how many ingredients are in, like when you do a blend, like carrot cake that I'm drinking right they're, now? They're all different. Yeah. Um, some of them have, you know, like I said, you know, 12, 13 different ingredients in them. Um, others are a lot more simple and maybe just have two or three. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it kind of depends on what you're trying to accomplish. Right. So, you know, getting that flavor just right. You know, sometimes you'll have something that's pretty good, but mm, it's just missing something. And, you know, you think on it and then something pops in your head and, oh, I think I'm going to throw some, you know, licorice root into that or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um so a lot of them are, are very kind of long processes mm-hmm. to get it to where it's something you feel like a lot of people are going to like. And sometimes a lot of people don't. I mean, that's, yeah. that's part of it too. So, you know, you're using your own palate. And um, luckily, most of the flavors we have um, appeal to a pretty wide audience. Um, there are some that don't do as well as others. And that's actually kind of a reevaluation thing I'm looking at right now. Um, is looking at, you know, as I'm bringing in new flavors that are really successful, like the last couple I've rolled in have been really successful. They're a couple of my top selling blends. Then you're looking at the slower selling ones. Well, you know, do we really need to keep those around? Do we want to keep adding to the number of blends or, um, you know, do we really want to kind of focus it on the ones that do really well? Mm, right. So we're, I'm doing some evaluating now and looking at some that might have to be dropped off and, and let go. Mm-hmm. Which is always a hard thing because then you're always going to have those handful of customers that really love that, love that it. blend. And yeah, that's like their tea. So it's, yeah. it's a difficult decision, but we definitely have to sell enough of it that it's super fresh. So right. I mean, that's my definite. And if and if I'm needing to toss product, 
because a blend is not selling that well, then it stops making sense for me to have it as part of the line. So right. um, most of them are just fine, but we do have a few that need to be evaluated and for they sure. might have to go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, then you just do a sale, you know, online and communicate. There you go. Let people know. Last this is chance. your last chance. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you create a blend, is it, it's you kind of, uh, making batches, small batches, and lots of pots of tea and lots of taste. Do you ever um, bring in other people to taste with you? You know, family. Yeah. Um, My husband always calls himself the guinea pig. He likes to make that joke. Um, I'm constantly like, here, try this one, try this one. Which one do you like best? And and things like that. I, for the most part, I kind of rely on my own palate. The more, especially the more I develop new blends, the more you do it, you your palate actually grows with that process Mm. you get better and better at tasting you know nuances and picking up like it needs a little less of this or a little more of that um so i for the most part i rely on my own palate for getting things to where you know i think it's just right yeah that sounds a lot like cooking absolutely and (laughs) going from using recipes to more just flying you know cooking from the hip yep it's a process for sure um, and I, okay, so I have a question that maybe you can answer. In some of the more uh, inexpensive mass-produced teas, you see soy lecithin as an ingredient. Why do you think they add that? Well, I, there's a lot of things added to yeah. lower Other than, quality I mean, teas. that's... <laughs> um, yeah. It's cheaper. Okay. You know, it's, it's cheaper to use you know, artificial and chemically produced ingredients, um, preservatives, things like that. Um, the cost is drastically less. Mm-hmm. So when you see things like that, and I think the one um, that bothers me the most is when you see artificial flavorings. Because there's, there, well, I was going to say there's no reason to use them, but the reason would be that they're really inexpensive mm-hmm. I mean, compared to um, a high quality natural flavoring they're so much cheaper but it's a horrible thing to put on a tea leaf yeah so explain what the difference is between art between natural flavorings like what's on your package and artificial flavorings and what does that even mean what it's are kind those? of a com- talk about mystery i mean it's yeah. kind of a complicated thing so the flavors that we use are, are extracts. So you're taking, like, let's say you want a coconut flavoring, and Flavor Houses is where this is all done. This isn't something I'm able to produce, you know, here. We bring in the flavors. But they will take actual coconut, and they use alcohol to basically extract the flavor. So it's a super intense flavor. So it really just takes a little bit um, and, you know, in comparison to like a big batch of tea, it's, you know, maybe 2% Okay. Um, yeah. is all that's really being put on those tea leaves, which seems like nothing, but it's such an intense flavor that that's all you need to get some flavoring. So an artificial flavor, there's no coconut involved. Mm, yeah. So um, whatever kind of chemical compounds that they put together artificially to produce the flavor of coconut... Um, that's what goes on the tea. Gotcha. And for me, um, and especially if, if you taste a lot of teas, there's such a difference in flavor. And, I mean, you drink, most people are drinking tea because they know it's a healthy beverage. 
So they've ruined that <laughs> by putting artificial flavoring on it. So it's no longer, in my opinion, a healthy beverage to drink. So, and I think, you know, when you're buying a really inexpensive bag tea, like a dust tea, a real low quality tea, um, you're probably already not really concerned about the quality of that product. But when you're buying a whole leaf tea, you absolutely should be using a better quality flavoring. And there's big tea companies out there, some of the biggest, um, I won't mention any names, but some of the big ones that come to mind when you think of quality tea, um, that if you look on their websites, on the back of their packages, they're, it's a whole leaf tea, which is great, but they're, they're using the artificial flavorings to flavor their teas and charging a ridiculous amount of money. Wow. Yeah. For those teas. So that's one thing when you start drinking good quality tea, I always tell people, you know, make sure you know what, what is in that tea. Yeah. And if you ever see artificial flavoring, I would just, you know, head the other direction. That's a really good tip. I'm going to take that with me all the way to the store. <laughs> Your comparison of artificial and natural, um, flavorings reminds me of like vanilla extract, like having a really good quality, you know, for home bakers out there that might be able to relate to that. Um, a good quality vanilla extract versus the difference between using imitation vanilla. Exactly. I mean, if you bake enough or if you're doing like, it'd be like making homemade ice cream and then putting imitation vanilla in it, exactly. which is like, That's why would you do that? That's the perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly so you can really tell the difference at that point. Um, so thank you for clarifying that. I think that's really, that's key to know. I wanted to ask you about more of the business side as well. How has being a mom affected your business? Just, I wanna, I know there's a lot of, of mom entrepreneurs out there and very similar situations and or wanting to start a business as a mom. And I'd love to hear your experience with that. It's really affected everything. I mean, the reason I'm doing this is because I'm a mom. So, I mean, it was definitely the motivation to do something different than what I was doing, you know, in the corporate world. Um, we've talked about the flexibility is huge. And for me, um, like most things, I think I've done things different than the norm. The way my business has grown is probably different. If you were to go to a business analyst or like, I like to watch Shark Tank and I'm sure that they would just tear me apart um, for the way <laughs> I've grown my business. But for me, I'm growing my business at a rate that works well with my family and raising my daughter. So when she was, you know, in grade school and little and I was running her Girl Scout troop and volunteering in the classroom twice a week and doing all of those things, I had less time to spend on this business. So I was growing it slower. Mm -hmm. She's in eighth grade now um, and doing amazing. And I have a little more time. You know, she's got things going on after school sometimes and she's in school a little bit longer. Um, so I have a little bit more time to grow the business. You know, she'll be in high school next year. I know I'm gonna have a little more time. So my goal is, I mean, I gave up a really great job with great pay and benefits to do this because I wanted to spend time with her. So while I still have her in the house, mm -hmm. I'm never going to let the business get to the point where now I no longer have time to spend with her. Mm -hmm. So our growth has really been, um, I 
guess I would call it like slow and strategic. And, you know, you get a lot of flack for that. Um, and I think that's one thing. It would be nice if the business community in general would be a little more gracious and maybe not so judgmental of that person that's running their business the way they want to run it and on their yeah. own terms. So once I have the time and, you know, maybe she's off at college and I don't feel like I need to, you know, save that much time for her, um, watch out because <laughs> I'll be able to grow it really fastly. Yeah. So it's, it's a balancing act and sometimes it's tempting, you know, people are, Oh, you should do this. And, and it's all well-meaning and an amazing ideas. And sometimes I get tempted like, Oh, all right, I really should be doing this or I should be doing this thing. And, um, it's got to make sense for where I'm at right now, because if I go after all those things, I'm going to be working those crazy hours like I did. Right. Um, and I am willing to work very hard, but I'm not willing to work all the time yet. Yeah. So, you know, when we look at taking on um, a new client, we actually last June, we got into Sun River Resort, um, which is huge for us. I mean, they're, they're a huge client and they've been amazing to work with. But I knew that that was going to be a really big jump. And we, we wouldn't have, I wouldn't even have met with them if I wasn't sure I was ready and could handle it. Um, and we've done a really good job of making that account work for almost a year now. And I kind of like, I make sure I've got something solid and then I'm like, okay, now I can handle a few more. Um, but it's, it's really, I wouldn't want to go and get like 12 new accounts in one week because I don't yeah. know what that's going to look like. You know, yeah. I've got to, I got to make sure I've got a really good grasp on everything that's going on and can still do, you know, all the stuff I need to with my daughter. So. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love so much of what you said. I, um, I think it's so important to remember why you got into this business and not just for the passion of tea, but for the love of family and Absolutely. for wanting that flexibility. And, um, I too wish that the business community was more open to slow growth mm -hmm. and growing as much as what's comfortable, what's needed, you know, what makes sense for you and not giving you any, not giving entrepreneurs any, um, flack or it's almost entrepreneur shaming it, <laughs> business exactly shaming. exactly what it is. Yeah. It's always I, this comparison. Like, well, yeah. you know, how long have you been in business? Oh, well, how many, um, and it's like a competition type thing. And there's there's right. levels you're supposed to be at, you know, by a certain number of years in business, you know, well, you should be doing this by now. You should be doing that by now. Um, I have a profitable, profitable business. I mean, if I was just sitting here losing money every year because <laughs> I like tea, that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. Right. Um, so I'm running a profitable business that is growing at a rate that works for me and my family. Um, that has the potential of growing hugely someday. And for me, that's okay. Yeah. So, um, but I still have to remind myself of that because, um, you know, not only do you feel like, okay, I should be doing more, you know, other people are doing more, but you also, you know, you see opportunities and it's exciting. Right. Yeah. But yeah. And you want to grab I'm on. I'm just going to keep doing it the way I'm doing it. <laughs> it's yeah. working. For me, it's working. Yeah. I think that's that's really important to check in with yourself and I um 
I think it would be really easy to get a little impatient and to get kind of um, almost kind of frustrated with maybe, you know, the rate of growth at some point, but knowing that it's, it's for a reason and it's intentional and really what would your life look like if you did get those 12 new yeah. accounts? It would probably be insane. Yeah. And with my, so. um, not only my background with customer service, but my personality, I am not going to want to let down any of my clients. I right. Mean, it's really important. Like when they call me, they place an order, I'm there for them. So if I got to the point where I was too big, now I'm looking at making those decisions I had to make when I was working at Fred Meyer and had my daughter. So yep. I don't want to get to that point where I have to choose between her and keeping them happy. So um, it's important for me to stay at a point where I can absolutely take care of my clients because I don't want to give that impression either. It's not like, oh, my family comes first. So if you need something, you're going to have to wait. Um, it's the opposite of that. So I'm just making sure I'm not so big that um, I can't do both. Right. So, and at this point, we're in a really good spot, you know, where I can reply to the customer um, customer and client needs really well and still do all the mom stuff that I need to do. So. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's such a duality embracing that yeah. um, role of business owner and parent, I think, and figuring out being nice and how to make it work. Saw it um, as a great job for being a parent. And I think um, a lot of people don't. They think, well, I'm, you know, if I run my own business, I'm gonna, there's, how could I have kids too? Um, I think it's because of the expectation and what everybody's um, idea of what a business is and what a successful business is doesn't fit into that. Mm -hmm. And it, it can. I mean, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I mean, you can make it, you can make it what you need it to be. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I was listening to, it was another business entrepreneur podcast and um, it was a male host and who has a wife and kids, um, but I believe his wife is a stay-at-home mom and he was kind of making this, drawing this line in the sand a little bit that, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, then you need to be getting up and working on your business and then you need to, you know, meet with this many people and then you need to have dinner with your family and then you need to go back right back to working on your business. And he kind of was saying like, if you don't do that, then you're not serious. Yeah. You're not real about this. And I was thinking to myself, well, that's great that you have a wife that supports you <laughs> and is probably taking care of those kiddos. And that's, you know, that's wonderful. Good on her. But it's clear that your situation is one example exactly. of a situation. That's very common. I mean, that scenario yeah. you just told, <laughs> um, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's very common, and I think that's, um, I mean, that's what a lot of people think, and it's kind of become the standard of should you be running a business or not? Well, you should be doing it this way. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see that change. Well, I think it's, I mean, I would like to think that it is. I think that for me, I, I heard that even as, that was even something I heard before we got pregnant and before, you know, we don't have any kids yet, but it does make me think about what would my, how would my work change when that does happen? Um, and I just thought, well, that doesn't work for me. And I don't even have, you know, I have a husband and that still doesn't jive. Like I also need downtime. I need time away from yep. my business and otherwise I'll get burned out. So I think even if, you know, you're, you're a person that's not married and doesn't have kids, um, 
you know, you have to look at what makes sense for you as and your exactly. personality and your business. And I think if you want to choose to grow slower for whatever reason, yeah. you know, do it. It should be okay. Yeah. And yeah. Ex- absolutely. It should be okay. So I appreciate that you addressed that, that stigma. Cause that's, that's real. So is there anything in your business that you would say you've kind of like mastered or just really figured out at this point that you're really proud you know, of it's probably sound it's probably a strange answer but I, I don't think so and I think I mean there's a lot of things I'm proud of um but I think to think that you've mastered something kind of means like okay that's dialed in I'm never going to make any changes that one's wrapped up and I can't think of any aspect of the business that I don't want to keep like digging into Mm, and figuring out and you know as you grow and change and develop and customers um you know wants and needs change that I feel like there shouldn't be any part of the business that can't change Mm -hmm. um you know and you meet people that have really strong feelings about a particular part of their business or in some cases their whole business um you know and they don't want to make any change and I think you can kind of get stuck inside of your own ideas sometimes um where I really would like to stay, you know, open to improving or changing or adapting to any piece of it that, you know, isn't working or maybe it could work better. um, So, yeah, I'm I'm proud of the fact that we've built a business that people like our product. um, We've built great relationships. We take really good care of people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'm most proud of, I guess, would be the customer part of it. And I, yeah. that would be something I wouldn't change. So yeah. I guess I could say that part of it. Um, and it's the part I love the most, too. Yeah. But all other aspects is always kind of, you know, work in progress. Yeah. No, I like that. I think that's really good. Do you ever find it hard to um, be motivated with um, with the family and just with other commitments and... Um, I don't know. I'm just curious if you, if there's ever a time when you're like, I really don't want to go pack tea right now or absolutely. (laughs) Are there any tricks that you use to kind of, um, to kind of get over that hump and just get yourself in the zone again or. Yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's something I I need to do, then, you know, I'm always going to pull myself up and get it done. I mean, that's where the work ethic comes back in. Um, it definitely with the repetition part of the business, um, putting labels on packets, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of labels on packets. Um, yeah. Sounds like a great time to listen to a podcast. Things, I'm not, um, exactly. Yeah. Or a book on tape or something. Absolutely. Those kind of things are not my favorite. I'm not, I would not be a great factory worker. Um, right. and that is the thing that as our business has grown, there is more of that type of work to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to do it. And I definitely have to kind of get myself, you know, charged up and in the mood to do that. There's things I would much rather be doing, um, all other aspects of the business besides anything like super repetitious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that's okay. I mean, it's, it's part of it. And I think, you know, it, it goes back to that customer service. Like if I don't do this and I'm not prepared for that next order to come in, I'm going to let down a customer. Yeah. And that's, I think that's my motivation, you know, to make sure that I, put in that time that I need to put in to do those things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I experienced that, you know, there's definitely times where I'd rather 
watch Netflix on the couch or something. (laughs) And um, if I've made a promise to somebody that I'm going to deliver, you know, some files or some information or whatever it is to you, then um, that's that's my main motivation. It's like, nope, I said I was going to do it, so I better get up and go do it. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, that's huge. I I think that... um, you know, I don't know if for if for all business owners or all entrepreneurs doing what you say you're going to do is as much of a motivating factor, but I appreciate that that is for me because I think that has really helped to grow. So I guess it would be a good time to transition into any advice that you might have for someone that is wanting to start a a food or beverage business, um, especially with your retail background as well. Um, what would you say to someone that wants to get into, wants to launch a food product? You know, I think probably the biggest thing, um, and it's something I didn't do, and looking back, I think it would have been our greatest opportunity, and we just didn't know to do it, would be to really seek out other people, not necessarily selling the same product as you. Um, because then, you know, you're going to somebody saying, I'm going to make, you know, cookies just like you are. Tell me all your secrets. And that's not going to happen. Um, but there's so many similarities in just launching any food business that if you seek out people in the industry um, locally, that advice is, is golden. Mm-hmm. I mean, the things that I've learned from other business owners at this point, I mean, people are amazing and they're open with information and they're helpful and they're great about sharing ideas and we're the same way with everybody else too and just not knowing that you could go out and do that mm-hmm. we could have you know saved a lot of money and time <laughs> and heartache and so many things I think if we would have known to go and kind of tap that community like before we even got started or even early on um, and there's there's people that are willing to they're excited about you launching when people run into me at events and they'll tell me oh I'm going to start this business I love hearing about that you know and you kind of look for it and see how they're doing there's and people that are willing to share and help you out not everybody's keeping you know all their secrets to themselves there's so many people that are willing to kind of help you along the way and mentor you so yeah. I would definitely definitely suggest doing that yeah um, and if they're not already like in tapped into a food community at all, how would you suggest they go about finding? Well, the there's food also programs at COCC, um, mm-hmm. which is another thing I didn't do, <laughs> but I know people that have and have gotten a ton out of it. They're small business programs you can take um, through their small business. Um, I'm forgetting the exact name of it. It's like mm-hmm. a small business um, program up at the college. It's separate from the regular classes. Yeah. And you can sign up for that program before you've even launched your business. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a way to get, you know, really great professional advice from people that know what they're talking about. And then you're going to have other people in those classes that are at all different stages of running a business, starting a business. So, you know, there's immediately a group of people that you could connect with and share ideas with. And then they're probably going to have other people to send you to, like, oh, I talked to so-and-so from this company. You know, you should contact them. Yeah, Um, and probably any community that you're in, not just in Oregon, but um, or even in Central Oregon, but, yeah, would have a community college that has small business classes or, or a university or something that you can start there, at least, yeah. 
definitely a great place to get started. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just taking some time to make those connections and ask questions of people and, you know, ask them what, you know, what would you do different? What did you waste money on? You know, tell me your big pitfalls because we all have them. So yeah. you're out there just figuring it out for yourself. Um, you're going to make some really expensive mistakes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd say cut out a few of those. You're still going to make mistakes, <laughs> but you can avoid some of it by getting advice yeah. from people that have already been through it. Yeah. Um, what is your take on um, like like food entrepreneur Facebook groups? I've actually belonged to a couple of them. Um, I think it's a great idea. They're, I think we all tend to get so busy. Yeah. But sometimes there's just no content on there. Um, there's a group of women. Um, I think you've interviewed probably most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that we kind of get together and have like coffee every now and then and talk about things and share ideas and you know put things together. And that's been really helpful. And we've we've put together a little Facebook group that it doesn't you know it doesn't get used too much. I think we do better actually just sitting down in front of each other. Yeah, um, I'm a part of a couple of food Facebook groups too, and I feel like they're they're interesting for making new connections. But it's difficult to have some of those those really meaty conversations, yeah. um, you know, unless they're really willing to get into details with you and stuff but it's it does seem like the best is still in person absolutely yeah so well um this has just been really interesting and thank you for demystifying the world of tea for me um i would like to have you tell everyone where they can find your tea and where they can buy from you and where they can follow you on social media yeah, absolutely. Online at www.inspiredleaf.com. Um, here locally, we're at several different stores. So we're at Newport Market, um, CE Lovejoys, Food for Less, Ginger's Kitchenware. Um, lots of cafes, restaurants um, serve our tea. So, you know, if you order tea um, at different places, there's almost too many to list. But yeah. um, a lot of different places serve our tea now. Is there a list online, like on there your is. website? Yeah, okay. on the website, you, there's a where to find us tab that you oh, can perfect. go to, and that's going to show all the different locations that have our teas. Okay, great. I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. Um, and then what about social media? So we're on Twitter, even though I don't tweet as much as I should, <laughs> um, at Inspired Leaf Tea, and uh, Facebook, again, Inspired Leaf Tea. Okay, great. And Instagram as well, so... Okay. Awesome. I'll link to all those. Um, so I just wanted to let listeners know that you can find show notes for this episode at picklejarstudios.com slash tough cookie podcast. And please follow us on Instagram at tough cookie podcast. And also if you could leave us a rating and review in iTunes, that would be amazing. So thank you, Cindy, for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this has been great. Oh, I did want to ask you how to say that one kind of tea that we were talking about earlier again. Gamacha. Gamacha. Okay, that one. But also the the red tea, the rue. Oh, rooibos. Rooibos. Yeah, it looks like it should be pronounced rooibos. Yeah. The way it's spelled. I think I was saying rubaios. Yeah, but it's, it's either rooibos or rooibos. You'll use the two different pronunciations okay. that you'll hear just depending on the person, but... That's how they say it in South Africa, okay. where it's grown. So okay, I'm gonna practice. I figure I go with that because they're the ones that you know 
they grow it so they get to decide how it's pronounced. <laughs> Roy Boos. Roy Boos. Roy Yeah. Roy Boos. <laughs> okay. I'm going to practice that. Um,